Light of the World series. Light of the World, last week, uh, last week we were started off in John, but this week we're in the book of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 18, and then uh, a single verse from Isaiah 60, uh, verse 1. So we'll start in Luke. Here's what Luke says. You should be pretty familiar with this if you spent any amount of Christmas time in church at all. The story goes like this. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And then from Isaiah 60, verse 1, he says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. All right, well, I'm excited. Uh, there are, there are moments where I work all week on my sermon, and, and I come to Sunday, and I'm like, man, I'm so prepared. I got this down. I've run through it. I've practiced it. Uh, and then there are weeks like this one where I did that, and I woke up this morning with something on my heart, and I was like, oh, I think I got to put that in. So uh, I'm really excited because that's what happened this week. I woke up this morning, and I was like, I got to rewrite this. Uh, so, so we're back at it. All right, we're back at it. Uh, Light of the World is our series. Uh, last week, we established the simple fact that God is light, that his light brings life to all the world, especially to you and to I. Uh, we move through the creation account, right, both in Genesis and in the first chapter of John, and uh, we ended back up at the Christmas story, uh, which is the ending of a 400-year season of darkness for God's people. And so this week, we're going to do it a little bit different. We're going to move directly into the Christmas story and build on what we learned last week. All right. So again, if you've been around the church or if you've ever seen Charlie Brown's Christmas, you likely know some of the details of the story we read this morning. Right? You have shepherds who are watching their flocks in the middle of the night. You have an angel of the Lord appearing to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. A great company of angels are singing. But I want us to hold up just a second when we read this story, because I think we quickly read over this line that says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. I think sometimes, especially if we've been in church a while, we tend to read over things that we think are just a given, right? So when, when we read the glory of the Lord shone around them, we went, oh yeah, that makes sense. But if I were to ask any of you this morning, what does that mean? What is the glory of the Lord? Why does it have a light? You're going to go, oh, maybe it doesn't make as much sense as I thought. So we're going to dig in a little bit, right? 
because because you know this is a message we have to we have to dig in a little before we can get what we're supposed to get right so we're going to dig in a little instead of glossing over we're going to look at the glory of the lord so let's look at the glory first what is glory well the dictionary says it's high renown or honor won by notable achievement or magnificence right so in other words it's it's this uh it's this deserved honor and glory and let's be honest, if we know who God is and we know he's fully good and fully merciful and, and, and great, right? We, 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 we believe that about God. Then who in the world should have more glory than God? And so God's glory is the beauty of his character, of who he is, right? It's not, it's not an outward beauty. It's the, the sort of inward beauty, right? When we say that people, that somebody has a glow to them, right? Generally, there might be an actual, you know, pregnant ladies glow, right? My wife, my wife would get that. But, but when we say that somebody glows, there's just something about them that like radiates, right? There's like, there's some kind of goodness and, and joy that comes out of them. And so God's glory is based in the beauty of his character. Who he is as God is glorious. His infinite greatness and holiness, really glory is just that put on display. <laughs> it's holiness and greatness on display for all to see. But then it says that the glory of the Lord, this greatness of God that is, that is so great, it says it radiates a light. This says shone around them. Now this phrase for shone around is used exclusively for light. It's not a, a metaphorical shone around. There was an actual light that shows up that is all around these shepherds because the goodness of God is so intense upon them. Right? The glory of God creates this actual light. And you have to remember, it says the shepherds were tending their flocks at nighttime. Right? So it's dark. It is dark out there. And then, boom, LED headlights everywhere. Right? All, right? All of the rest of you who don't have LED headlights like me, you know what I'm talking about. Right? They're in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden, everywhere is bright as day. And so we've got the glory of God that is so vast, it literally shines in the darkness. And it's not the only place in Scripture that we're told that God's glory is some supernatural floodlight. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, it says that God lives in unapproachable light. <laughs> and in Revelation 21, 23, when it's talking about the end, right? All the bad stuff has happened, the apocalypse that we talk about, you know, all this stuff has gone on. We're in the, the, the final time, we're in where with God, and it says, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. So the glory of God is so intense that, that at the end of time, when we get to spend forever with Him, we don't even need the sun, because we get to see the full glory of God lighting the place up. Now, can we explain this fully so that our minds can comprehend what that even means? Probably not. Certainly not within my 20 to 30 minute time slot on Sunday morning. <laughs> there, are, there are aspects of, of Christianity that require faith. <laughs> so so why, does God's, why does God's goodness and glory radiate a light? I got no idea. <laughs> because that's how he designed it. <laughs> All I know is that scripture tells us that this is how it works. That God's glory is so strong and so much that it lights the place up. So, 
So let's just establish this by faith this morning, that the glory of God radiates this vast light, right? I, I say by faith because I've never, like, I've never seen it, right? Like, I've never gotten the floodlight moment like the shepherds got. But I see it in Scripture, and I believe that what happens in Scripture is true because I've seen what I have seen of Scripture lived out has all been true. It's never once been wrong. And so this sort of gives us a sense of why Jesus can say, I am the light of the world. Right? Because his glory is so great, he can't help it. It just, for lack of a better word here, it oozes out of him. Right? He shines of goodness and majesty because he's that good. And he's that majestic. Now I know that these ideas are a little bit abstract, right? But are you still tracking with me here? Somewhat? Okay. So let's get into what, why this matters, because that's really what you need to know this morning. Whether or not God's glory lets off a light does not affect your life if you don't know why it matters, okay? This is a sermon. It's not a seminary class on God's glory. So what does it mean for us? Why does it matter? What, why does this detail even get included in the Christmas story? Well, first of all, let me tell you how rare it is, even in Scripture, to have God and his glory appearing to people directly. Right? You've, got, you've got the example in, in Exodus chapter 3 in the burning bush. Right? An angel of the Lord appears to Moses in a bush. It appears to be on fire, but the bush is not consumed. And Moses is curious because there's a bush and it's on fire and it's not being consumed. And so he starts to walk over and he says, don't come any closer and take off your shoes. Okay? God is a no-shoes-in-the-house kind of person. Take off your shoes. Don't come any closer. Then in Mount, on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, God's people are going to meet with him on the mountain. And it says that he descends in fire, just like he did in the bush, but it's covered by smoke. So it's veiled. Then in Exodus 34, Moses goes to meet directly with God. And after spending time with God, he descends from the mountain, and his face is so shiny... <laughs> His face is so lit up that people are afraid of him and they make him wear a veil, right? So he's, he's even just, he's reflecting the glory that he's seen. He's not, this isn't even God's glory. The reflection of God's glory was so scary to God's people, they made him wear a veil. And then in Exodus 40, God's glory fills the temple. And it says that it was so strong and lit up in there, nobody could even enter the temple. So see, you have these moments in Scripture where you see the tidbits of the glory of God. But, but very rarely do you get to see the whole thing. Right? Notice in these stories, God's glory had to be obscured and covered for his people. They couldn't handle the full glory of God. In fact, the only people who actually gazed upon God did so in visions and dreams. Jacob sees God at the top of the ladder in his vision of heaven. John sees, sees the Lord in, on his throne in Revelation. Isaiah gets to see the Lord. And all of them, when they do it, they're so terrified they fall down. <laughs> and that's just in a vision. See, it was, it was so intense and holy and majestic that you couldn't even look right at it. Right? Moses only gets to see the backside of God as he passes by. 
And the best, the closest analogy I can give you this morning is if you went outside and stared directly into the sun. Now today, that might be a little easier than on some days. But you, you just can't do it. You're going to hurt yourself. And even that analogy is faulty. So let's go back to Luke 2. It says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. See, the glory of God is no longer obscured behind a veil or behind the smoke. The glory of God is no longer at a distance like in the burning bush. The glory of God is not being shown in a vision or in a dream. It says the glory of God shone around them. Right? It swallowed them whole. It was in every direction. The shepherds were standing smack dab in the middle of God's glory. In all these other stories, God comes closer to his people than ever before. But it was still distance. It was still hidden in some way. But for the shepherds in the fields at Advent, in this huge moment of God's salvation plan, God's never before been closer to his people. You've seen this? He chooses these shepherds, these nobodies. And let's be honest, this is probably part of the reason the shepherds are terrified. Now, part of it is probably that an angel of the Lord comes. And if you've, if you've, ever, if you've never read through the scripture to figure out what angels look like, uh, there's a good reason people are always terrified of them. <laughs> okay, they are not the nice, fluffy babies with the wings, right? They got like a bajillion eyes and wings over wings. And like, it's, they're weird. But you have to think that part of the reason they're terrified is because this has never happened. God has never revealed his glory in such a vast way directly to somebody. In fact, I love the original language that is used here uh, because it's two words that you will know what they mean without me having to tell you what they mean. The word here they use for terrified is this, megaphobia. That's how scared they are. That's, that's the original, megaphobia. They are terrified. And yet this is a monumental moment for God's people. Because God is no longer just out there somewhere, right? He's no longer off in the distance in the bush. He's no longer hidden behind the veil in the temple. He's no longer keeping his distance. He's not shrouding himself because of the sinfulness of humanity. See, God can fully manifest his glory because the plan for the salvation of humanity is moving forward on that night. The shepherds, they don't see it yet because they don't know the news yet, right? Think about it. The angel comes, the light shows up. They're all going, oh, and then it speaks. Then the angel speaks and says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. See, and when the Messiah comes, when the Savior comes with forgiveness for all of mankind, forgiveness for the sins that kept us out of God's glory in the first place, see, we can't handle God's perfection because we're not perfect. We don't know what to do with it. We can't, we can't even stand in his presence. When Isaiah and John get to see the Lord in a vision, just in a vision, they can't stand. But the Savior comes and makes a way. Because on this night, the Lord appears in glory for his people because the Savior has come. Right? His desire to dwell with his people is realized in Jesus. 
the very Jesus who put aside this glory for a moment so that he could come in the form of a man. And we, we actually get to see some of this glory. Jesus, in Matthew 17, we call it the transfiguration. Uh, it says, His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. See, we get to see a little bit of it. He gives him a glimpse, but he gives it up. In Philippians 2, it, Paul wrote this about Jesus. He says, Being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Death on a cross that we might witness the great and full glory of God. The glory that will act as the sun itself when life is done. See, the glory of the Lord shone around those shepherds for the first time. But the glory of the Lord has been unleashed ever since because of the work of the Savior. This small child that we aptly, is aptly named Emmanuel, God with us, right? Not God above us or in front of us or out there somewhere, God with us. And so this morning, this morning we celebrate this great miracle, this great move of God, this opening of God's glory for us to see, to experience. We do it by joining him at his table. Because, because the Lord invites all of us through Jesus to his table to witness his glory, to be a part of his story. doesn't matter what your theology is, or what your beliefs are, or how far away from God you think you are. The light of God's glory is with us at the table because Jesus made a way. We take the bread and we remember that he offered his body to make a place for us. We take the cup and we remember that his blood was shed instead of ours. His sacrifice tore the veil and cleared the smoke so that we can encounter the glory of God. And so as we celebrate communion this morning, I want you to remember that communion is this intimacy with God. And it's only possible because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. See, communion, even the word communion, it means the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings. Right? Communion, Emmanuel, sharing intimate thoughts and feelings with the God who is with us. Not the God who's far away, the God who veils himself because we can't handle it, but the God who is with us and wants to be with us. Not because he has to or because the, some extra force says that he needs to be with us. He wants to be with us. And so he clears the way through Jesus so that we can sit with him at his table with no veils, no smoke, just us and God. Let me pray. God, we thank you for making a way. Because we see these great people like Moses and these Israelites, God, who, 
who it just seemed like were so much closer to you, and yet they only got to see you through a veil or as you passed by. And this morning, God, we get to encounter you face to face at your table. To eat of your body and to drink of your blood and to remember what you've done for us to make a way. So God, I, I pray over these elements this morning. I ask that you would bless the bread and the juice to make them for us the body and blood of Jesus. Remind us, Lord, of what you have done to prepare the way. To open up your very self that we might encounter you. So may this time be blessed as well as these elements. Encounter us here in these moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to serve our worship team first. And then uh, you can come up as you're able.